0: And welcome to another episode of that 60s recording podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. You'll no doubt already know who the guest is today because you'll have seen it on the podcast notes um, or title. But I'm very, very, very excited to have spoken with Ted Fletcher, who is the owner of, or was the founder of Alice uh, Recording Desks in 1969. But before that, he had an extensive career recording as a backing vocalist for Joe Meek. Um, and also building the KPM studio on Denmark Street. Um, And uh, just had a fascinating career, absolutely fascinating career. I mean, just being a backing vocalist for Joe Meek would be enough to warrant having a, a conversation with him. But the fact that he's gone on to have such an unbelievable career at the forefront of audio technology is gobsmacking, you know, completely gobsmacking. And as is so often the case, he's such a humble chap. He's so... Lovely, would you know? We could have talked for another hour, and I'm sure he would have been completely fine with it. He's um, just an inspirational, uh, real go getter, and really intelligent, and uh, yeah, just such a privilege to speak with him. Um, So we discuss his early career, uh, working with Joe Meek, and before building the studio at KPM, and then going to start at the Alice Recording Company, and then of course he went on to start the Joe Meek brand of uh, of outboard equipment and we discuss that and kind of what happened in between all of those things um, and then recently in 2019 the Alice company has resurfaced um, and he is a director of that company now um, and they're bringing back their um, products again so we kind of talk about the whole journey right up into that modern day and, and there's some exciting projects that are also uh, coming forward, sort of reinvigorating old brand names, um, which we discuss at the end of what will be the second episode. So yeah, incredibly happy to and, and excited to have spoken with Ted. Um, so we'll just dive straight in. Here we go, Ted Fletcher. Yeah, so I thought we'd, it would be interesting to start if, if you want to just dive, if we, we dive right in. Um, okay, we-
1: well, start where you like.
0: Well, with your experiences uh, in as uh, singing in Denmark Street, essentially, um, so did you train? I read that you changed as, as a civil engineer. Was that before your you started in music?
1: Uh, <laughs> you start with a difficult question. Sorry, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, my. I mean, I, I started as a. I, I, I started as a civil engineer only because um, uh, when I was doing my A levels and uh, at, at school, I sort of was at a bit of a loose end, and I wasn't I wasn't particularly interested in anything except um, uh, always interested in taking things apart, and particularly electrical things. Uh, and my father was involved with them. Um, uh, with he worked for the um, ministry ministry of aviation oh.
0: uh,
1: and he was involved with the development of the mosquito aircraft oh wow um oddly enough peculiarly um uh in doing development work on glues okay because the mosquito was in fact glued together it was um <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was made of plywood wow uh, it was all glued together uh and uh, anyway um, but he was very interested in um, in electronics um, and in a, in an amateur way. And I became interested in electronics. Uh, and at the same time, that sort of melded together with um, interest in, in music because of records, record players, things like that when I was very young. Uh, and so I was interested in music from a very, very early age. Uh, in fact my parents were very keen on um, on getting me to learn in- musical instruments and so in fact i started to learn the piano when i was four wow uh, and um, and the violin when i was five and um so and uh, I never really stopped <laughs> so, so uh, you know that became you know music was a was a part of my life right from the time i was well, before i can remember what
0: was um what sort of music was going on in your household what were your parents listening to oh uh
1: well <laughs> again this is uh it's, it's it's sort of interesting my father was very keen on uh on the works on um what what he thought and probably what everyone thought were negro spirituals mm-hmm. and um uh but in in reality, ninety uh, percent of them were written by um, a white bloke right. in, uh, in America <laughs> <laughs> who'd never been to the South. <laughs> that was um, they were written by Foster, uh, and uh, he 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 wrote a huge number of these these very popular songs back in the in those days. Uh, we listened to some classical music as well. Um, but i was involved very early on again uh, got coerced into joining choirs and and singing and so that became you know a part of the, a part of it um so uh, obviously because of that i i learned to read music again very very early on uh, and so singing you know became a part of Part of my life,
0: and how did that progress into to sort of getting session work? I'm always quite curious as to how you know the the, ah. the starts of all of this.
1: Yeah, how people get in. Yes, yeah. that's right. It's um, it's usually to do with um, uh, a family connection or some, you know, some uh, some sort of introduction. Yes, that's true. Well, it, well, in fact, the the way it worked was that um, purely as an amateur. And at the time, it was you know we were it was we were amateurs in, uh, completely. I mean, we had nothing to do with the profession at all. Um, myself and my brother um, uh, sort of decided well, we started to sing um, pieces of um, uh, music from the Middle Ages some early early music mm-hmm. and and we got very good at reading it at actually uh r- reading the dots yes and, yeah uh, and sight reading which in, <clears throat> in
0: singing is is really difficult i mean it's it's one thing well, doing it on an yeah, instrument.
1: I, I don't find it difficult but no, so, well. <laughs> yeah that, that, that's true yes um anyway uh and uh I was involved also with playing musical instruments because I, I was playing, uh, at that time, I was also playing the clarinet in a trad band. Um, and um, now when was it? I got, to, it was when I was getting together with the lady who became my wife, Barbara. Yeah. Um, i met her she was a singer and uh, i met her when i was playing the clarinet in a trad band and um she could sing she was very very good uh and so the three of us myself my brother and and barbara um formed a little group and, and she came in with us and started singing madrigals and and, and stuff like that and uh, we thought it would be fun to um to make a sort of a a Very amateur stage act, mm-hmm. which we did, and uh, it was like a little variety act you know, run a, a little piece that ran sort of two or three minutes that's all. Um, and we'd go on stage and, and sing something fairly clever and crack a few couple of jokes, and uh, and that was it, you see. So, uh, that, that was fun. Uh, at the time we were living in, um, Near Reading, uh, near Wokingham, mm-hmm. uh, and um, so we thought, oh, well, let, I know, let's let's enter a talent contest. So we did. We entered a talent competition uh, run by the local paper, uh, and we won it. And um, that was nice. And the, the first prize was um, uh, was a week at Butlins. Amazing. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those where the first prize is a week at Butlins, the second prize is two weeks at Butlins. <laughs> 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 you know, so um, anyway, we so we 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 duly went to Butlins um in in all innocence, uh not realizing, of course, that um what Butlins were doing was they were recruiting free entertainment uh in in quite a big way. So Whilst at Butlins, we carried on with competitions and 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 kept winning, uh, and ended up in London at a at a theatre in London, where there was the big final competition to to find the 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 best act, uh, and um, we came second. Okay. The reason we came second was that the the group that came first uh, was a was a band called the Original Checkmates. Okay. And. Um, the keyboard player with the original Checkmates is Alan Hawkshaw. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, now, Alan, um, during a rehearsal, Alan uh, came to us. We were you know, rehearsing on stage. This is before the final show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, and he said, it would be a bit fun to let me let me have a sing with you. <laughs> and, uh, and we said, yeah, sure, sure. You know, we were, we were terribly green. We really didn't know anything about the music industry at all at the time. And um, anyway, he, he, he joined us for a, a while and, um, and said, uh, would you be interested in uh, meeting my recording manager? So I said, yeah, it we'd, would be fun. You know, we'd do that. He said, it's a man called Joe Meek. Oh. So uh, so we said, yeah, great. So anyway, a couple of days later, I was on the phone to Joe Meek because he'd phoned me. Um, and it seemed that he was in a bit of a spot. He needed some backing vocals on some recordings. Um, we went to London. Uh, and really, uh, that was the beginning. That was it. Uh, um from that moment on we started working with Joe Meek um or oh, two or three times a week
0: fantastic so this is kind um, of like 61 62 is it 62
1: 1962. yeah yeah, yeah that's that- right it's just when when telstar was but uh, just hit number 1 uh, and we made a, a great oh must have been I believe it was above 150 singles. Actually, wow. <laughs> in the end, uh, we just we recorded loads and loads of stuff, and uh, everybody who was around at that time, we we worked with. So
0: um, I mean, just for just because I'm I'm curious, I suppose you must have been working with uh, Clem Cattini on drums a lot. Oh yes, and, yes, um, I'm working
1: with Clem. Who would have been oh, playing?
0: Yeah. Vic Flick playing guitar? Brian friends. Bennett,
1: Vic Flick, yeah, mm-hmm. all the all the all the name yeah. session players. Yes, no,
0: oh, fantastic. Oh yes. What was um? So were you working at um, Joe's Holloway Road show, Studio? Or, yes. Yeah, yes. And, and what I was remember, how? You know, when I spoke to Clem about this sort of time, um, and he. Discussed sort of hanging out in Denmark Street and getting called for sessions, and you know what was what was sort of day to day life for you when you know around that time.
1: Well, it was hectic because I was trying to hold down the job as a civil engineer. Oh, alongside time. all but, of
0: this, wow! Yeah,
1: yeah, actually, yes. But uh, mind you, very quickly I I, I tracked it in. Um, <laughs> I decided I decided I'd much rather um be driving up to London um, in my. Uh, new second hand jaguar rather than <laughs> rather than um, uh, sit in an office uh, in camberley uh, designing drainage
0: systems <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah i know which uh, one i'd choose <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so
1: mind you drainage system design was was uh, I found it very interesting because it was it was a i've always been fascinated with mathematics mm-hmm. anyway um yeah, it, uh so yeah life was hectic but I got I, I stopped doing that uh that civil engineering quite quickly uh and um became a a professional musician um almost immediately uh I was introduced to um one of the executives at Keith Browse Music in Denmark Street mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, who found out that I'd been playing around with doing recordings in my at home, uh, and they asked me if I would um, like to do some work in uh, in a little recording studio that they they sort of had. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went and looked, it was a it was just a bare room really on the ground floor in 21 Denmark Street, and um, again to cut a long story short, I built a studio there. <laughs> Myself, you know, uh, literally put the stuff up on the walls and um, uh, made, um, put together uh, bits of timber to make ducting for air conditioning and all uh, the whole the whole bit everything, and uh, and then started to design the electronic equipment to go in it. So, had you uh, before
0: being approached by KPM, were you? interested in build or had you built anything yourself up, up to that point or oh yes
1: um oh yeah i'd i'd built um when i was at school uh i built um a a, a very early tape recorder I actually made it oh wow uh, yeah this is when i was about 14 i suppose it was um aided by my father i couldn't have done it on my own um but it, it we had it and it worked it uh It wasn't very good, but but it worked. Um, But then after that, uh, I had been playing around with, uh, experimenting with uh, microphone amplifiers and bits of stuff that I'd bought in junk shops in London. Uh, And um, it all sort of developed from that, really.
0: It seems Um, a bit of a... a a really great time to be interested in that sort of stuff. I mean, there's lots of ex-military equipment um, from, yes. i was supposing, from World War Two that was, um, you know, that was hanging around, and, and uh, oh yeah, you could take yeah. them apart quite easy. You know, now if I if I was to open up something electronic, it would just be printed circuit board, or you know, wouldn't I? Wouldn't even know well, what, to, what I was looking at. And uh, well, whereas, that's
1: right. It's nowadays it's very difficult because it's know, yeah, it's a throwaway society. Mm. But um, you know, in those days, um, uh, yeah, miniature valves had just come in at the end of the war, uh, and um, you know that was an exciting time. And so, all my all my early stuff was um, was designs associated with valves. So my first mixer, uh, in fact, was valve based. Okay. Um, oh yeah.
0: I didn't. I didn't realize that because the Alice stuff, which we'll, we'll get onto, is, is famously transistor-based. But whereas, uh, yeah, um, so you were building sort of valve mixing consoles before that.
1: Well, you know, what, yeah, only in a very, very small way. Yeah, you know, I built one or two bits of consoles with with channels that are that were based on valves. Yes, and in fact, the the, the first console I made for uh, that we used in Denmark Street. Was uh, was Valve based? How
0: did it feel being asked to put together a studio? Was it a was it a significant step up for you? Were you was it an in, like an in, obviously it would have been exciting, but was it sort of exciting but also quite um, intimidating the idea of having to put together a full studio?
1: Um, not not really intimidating. No, uh, it was fun. Um, I. I <laughs> I don't really I just don't think like that okay you know, if somebody um there there are a few instances um for example, there was um i know i'm I'm sort of jumping ahead in terms of time <laughs> yeah but uh, in nineteen seventy four I think it was um, I had a phone call from uh, a chap called John Lumsden. In, who was uh, the chief engineer of the To Be radio station in Glasgow, and he who said to me, um, he said, "Do you know anything about uh, radio production mixers?" Uh, and I said, "Not a lot, but I can learn quickly." <laughs> he said, "I've got a I've got a requirement." He said for um for a, to, for a production mixer for a, um, a commercial studio, uh, and I need it quick. So I said, all right, I'll be with you tomorrow morning. So I caught a flight up and met John Lumsden. And I had no idea what this mixer what you know what it entailed. And I learned very quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and consequently, we, you know, but it but it it wasn't it wasn't intimidating at all, but it was um I suppose uh I had I had bags of confidence and
0: uh Yeah, you relish the challenge of it more than Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. Yes,
1: yeah. And it wasn't uh you know it wasn't no no big deal. And if <laughs> I cocked it up, you know, it, it wouldn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. So
0: how did that develop onto so Alice started in nineteen sixty nine. Yes, that's right. What was the so between between sort of working at Keith Prouds and then starting yeah. Alice, how did that progression yeah. happen?
1: Well, the, the, the one one sort of elided into the other because um, uh, I, I, Joe Meek fell out with me along with everybody else um, <laughs> at the end of his life, uh, and um, I wish I had the letter actually because it was uh, it was a four page rant that he wrote wow. to me in handwritten. hand-written. Um, tell, accusing me of um, spying on him, uh, taking his customers. I mean, this is really, it's so ridiculous because <laughs> <laughs> I was just little Ted Fletcher. Yeah, <laughs> I was absolutely nobody, and he was a major. He was a major um, record producer.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, the, but at the time, he was accusing the engineers at Decca of um, bugging his studio all the time. He, he was certain that they had put microphones in the walls wow and so uh and he accused me of of stealing his customers and and setting up a studio in opposition to him hmm. uh, which is uh, it was just a complete nonsense you know but then you know the guy was sick it was yes yeah it was very sad yeah so uh but the 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 move from uh from KPM, uh, um, it was uh, I, it was a question of people were asking me to build things. Yeah, generally little bits and pieces, mic amps and compressors and equalizers, um, in a in a very small way, uh, and it all got slightly out of hand. And I met up with some guys in Windsor. Um, and um, they were running a little studio in Windsor, um, uh, and they had a they had a couple of projects on, building equipment themselves, uh, and so I went in there and um, helped them with the design work and with, with the building, um, and and that became Alice. It seems yeah. that I'm really
0: interested in the the sort of the way that gear was perceived at that time I mean, obviously you have the big studios like Abbey road and, um, Trident and, and lots of those Mm. studios who were, you know, they're using in-house mixing consoles that were built in house, but they've Mm. got, you know, Fairchild limiters and, um, you Mm. know, Poltec was, was starting out. Um, they, you know, it's not like now where the market's completely flooded with, with different brands Mm. of gear. So the idea of, of building you know, of studios having hand-built and custom-built equipment doesn't seem out of place back then. You know, what was was everybody quite happy just using things that you'd put together?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And it was a very fluid situation. You know, there was um, people were trying out different things all the time. Uh, and, I mean, I worked with... Oh, at that period, I was starting to work with... Uh, because I had I did was able to meet a lot of uh, engineers and influential people in the music business when I worked at KPM because Denmark Street is the is the centre. Um, so uh, you know studios like Olympic, IBC. Um, I was very familiar with the with the engineers and the and a lot of the owners of these studios and Lansdowne. Yes, um, yeah. And so, uh, uh, and so, yeah, it it, uh, it it was a very fluid time, you know. Uh, at, at that, and what we what started to happen was, um, at Alice, we started to get orders for um, initially uh, for large consoles for film studios. Okay. Uh, and we, in fact, we, did, we built a, a very big series of consoles from a film production company in Malta, uh, which was, that was very early on. Uh, and then shortly after that, um, a lot of the impresarios in London who were setting up new shows were after new, uh, new theatre mixes. And we got into that in a big way. And um, so we, that ended up with uh, building the 106-channel console for Jesus Christ Superstar. Wow. <laughs> Which was, I think, the largest console in London at the <laughs> time.
0: <laughs> so these, yeah. at, at this time, it's all sort of custom orders. You hadn't done any hadn't oh, yes. kind of mass-produced oh, yeah. anything. Oh, yeah, who, everything who, custom. Who came up with the uh, the name Alice and the Rabbit logo? I'm, I'm interested
1: <laughs> I did. Uh, <laughs> I came up with the idea of Alice because um, uh, I just love the book. I just yeah. I think Alice in Wonderland is a wonderful book, and uh, and Johnson uh, is um, was a sort of uh, hero of mine because uh, he is, um a, a very bright bloke. But yeah, it, it, um, that's where the name came from. Fantastic. Uh, the rabbit actually was um, was an invention of um, of our finance director. Uh, byron davis who who was a who was a drummer and he was the drummer with um uh, tony brain <laughs> 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 um, oh isn't it awful uh, just sudden blank uh, oh,
0: it happened it happens to all of us <laughs> yeah
1: to, um, no it Gone. will come
0: back it will it will appear yeah. at some stage <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. who lives now lives in australia okay <laughs> um anyway uh yeah he he toured uh as a as a drummer um professionally uh my production director was eric Keene, who in fact was a was a bass player uh he played bass with the original band which became deep purple oh
0: yes uh
1: so that was uh, see so he was he was a good player or well, is a good player so he's, mm. he's still he's still around he lives down in Torquay. unfortunately uh, the others are, are gone the um, Byron uh, died a couple of years ago and um, the other the other member of the quartet was um, was uh, Chris Bannum who was a keyboard player uh, he p- toured professionally as well um, anyway where was I. Um, we were talking
0: about the character, the rabbit character. I oh, remember. the rabbit character. That's yeah. right. Yes.
1: No, that was that was Byron's idea. Who um, uh, who then got a a local in Windsor um, artist to do a sketch, and that ended up as the rabbit. And, uh, <laughs> and and it's it's lovely. I mean, it's and now that is of course the logo uh, that we have today.
0: Where. I love the idea that you've, you, we've got. There's kind of that balance between um, sort of home-built equipment. So I'm talking in the early '70s here, and then these huge, mm-hmm. big consoles that were coming out. I and mean, there's, mm-hmm. you know, you've spoken um, in in other interviews and in and on your your uh, online stuff about the that big gap in the market. Where did you know? How did you sort of recognize and come across that? Uh, you know I'm talking specifically about you know the 828 mixer and mm-hmm. how that kind of gap in the market came about and you spotted it and thought well people you know there is there is a demand for not hugely expensive but very high quality equipment that's accessible for mm-hmm. for people who are slightly think, more you know
1: yeah i think that came about um uh partly because of the the advent of local radio, uh, and how that, I mean, local radio started in 1974, um, with, uh, with Glasgow and we went on then, Alice, we became, uh, the company really at the, at the time to do turnkey operations to, to build radio stations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the things that we needed every time, uh, were several little radio production mixes and, um, Outside broadcast stuff, uh, and um, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And in fact, that, that's what happened. That's how the H twenty eight was developed. Um, it was it evolved over a fairly long period, probably sort of four or five years. Actually, um, it started with a mixer called the AD sixty two, which was not very not very good, not very clever. And that, which was in a wooden surround box. Okay. Um, and then uh, there was one one of those key moments was that uh, we I remember a meeting um, in the in the finance office at at, at Alice, um, where we were moaning about the fact that we weren't getting many orders for small mixers at the time, um, and uh, I think it was Eric Eric Keen who said. Um, Well, you know, the reason is because it's not heavy enough. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) and we said, "Oh, yeah." Eric Eric is like that. He's a very direct guy and very and and usually right. And uh, we said, "Okay, well, we'll build it. We'll make it out of one point two millimeter, no, one point six millimeter steel." And um, we'll we'll try that. So we we built a couple of prototypes. Of, and you could you went to pick them up and they were you know like bricks i mean yeah. really heavy um and they everyone loved them it, <laughs> it was great oh and um we started selling them and they absolutely sold like mad and we sold we couldn't make them fast enough and in the end we were supplying very strange people i mean i supplied a, a, I think four mixers um to the army in singapore oh wow and they were used in the jungle <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah That's they, went, they went all over the world and they went everywhere and uh, you could run a truck over these things yeah
0: terrifying. well i mentioned on the uh I mentioned on the when we spoke last week on the phone. I've just I've just got. Um, in fact, it was Bobby Graham's old 828. to uh, oh, yeah, that's right. That You're I, saying. I've yeah. Just got. Yeah, yeah. and it's. Uh, yeah, it is really heavy, and it's. Oh yeah. It is really robust, and you can sort of, you know, you feel like you've got something very significant, which is. Yes. You know, if there's something about that in audio that that sort of weight behind it feels. Yes. Like, gives you confidence, yeah, it doesn't is. it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. And uh, and really, that's that's become a. Uh, a, a watchword of what I do nowadays. All my <laughs> stuff is fairly heavy. Yeah. You know, the, 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 oh, you know, things like that. Oh, you know, cool. <laughs> it's, it's quite a it's quite a lump. Yes. Bought <laughs> the right way up.
0: <laughs> well yeah. you you want to feel like you've bought some you know if you spent some money on something you want you want to feel like you've bought something that's that's weighty. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and it is it is made of steel. <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> so that's something that's carried through right till now I love oh it. yes yeah um, so that that's kind hilarious. of boom lasted for about 10 years or so didn't it i suppose and what the A28? well the sort of alice yeah. alice company
1: and before you um well yeah well if what happened was uh yeah i mean that did it, it went on for yeah for quite a while um what happened was
0: There we have it. Part one of my conversation with Ted Fletcher. Um, I hope you were making copious amounts of notes during that episode. And I would recommend you go to TFPROs. That's Ted Fletcher Pro. So tfpro.com. There's loads of information on that website. Not only is there a shop um, that we kind of discussed in the second episode. He hand-builds equipment still. He's 81. That's unbelievable. And there's a whole section of masterclasses on there. I've posted about them on my Instagram um, before, but there's, uh, he did some lectures at the University of Glamorgan quite a few years ago, and he's put the lecture notes up on his website. And they are just, uh, yeah, amazing. They're really, really great. So go and check those out. And um, I've printed them all off so I can sit and read them in the uh, the comfort of my armchair. I, I hate reading on a screen for some reason. But anyway, Go and check those out because they're, they're very, very cool. And to learn from somebody of Ted's stature is is pretty special. Um, you can also go and check out the Alice website, uh, which uh, off the top of my head, I don't know. Let me see if I can just quickly find it online. Oh, I am already on it. So it's just alice.co.uk. Um, and you can check out some of the history um, of the consoles there and see what the company's up to. But again, we talk about that in the second episode. Um. So yes thank you for listening and that just leaves me to say if you'd like to contact me uh, my email address is joe at allyouneedisdrums.com and you can visit that website allyouneedisdrums.com where there is a shop you can buy music I've been involved with you can also buy a lovely enamel mug featuring the brand of the podcast uh, which you can drink tea and coffee out of or keep pens in or little the little microphone extension clip things that's what I tend to keep in some of mine and my little girls as you might have seen on Instagram uh, put some jelly in them recently which is they make pretty good jelly cups uh, right anyway I'm waffling um, that just leaves me to say a huge thank you to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music to Adam Mallet for the artwork he supplies and f- to Rory Hancock for doing all of the legwork and editing and mixing of and uploading of this podcast I appreciate all of you and I appreciate you for listening thanks very much and I will be back next week with more from Ted Fletcher goodbye <laughs>